0: What's up, welcome back? This is GoTime. I'm Adam Stekoviak, editor-in-chief here at Changelog. If you're new to GoTime, subscribe at GoTime.fm. If you're a longtime listener, number one, we love you. Number two, check out Changelog Plus Plus. That is our membership. Get closer to the metal, skip the ads, and directly support this show. Today we're bringing an episode of the Changelog over here to GoTime. We had an awesome conversation recently with Toby Padilla, co-founder at Charm for the building tools to make the command line glamorous toby and the team at charm have gone all in on go all of charm is written in go they moved to go from other languages saying quote go is the answer to building these types of tools end quote and even on this episode toby says quote i love rust it's really cool it's a super exciting language but i jump ship I want to be more productive. I want to use all the fun toys. And so I started doing Go, end quote. Clearly, this episode will be in good company here at GoTime. Big thanks to our friends and our partners, Fastly, for having our CDM back, all our pods, all our assets. Everything we do is shipped fast globally because of Fastly. Check them out at Fastly.com. This episode is brought to you by Sourcegraph. Sourcegraph is universal code search that lets you move fast, even in big code bases. Here's CTO and co-founder Byung Liu explaining the problems that Sourcegraph solves for software teams.
1: Yeah, so at a high level, the problems that Sourcegraph solves, it's this problem of, for any given developer, there's kind of two types of code in the world, roughly speaking. There's the code that you wrote and understand, like the back of your hand. And then there's the code that some idiot out there wrote. Or, you know, alternatively, if, you know, you don't like the term idiot, it's the code that some inscrutable genius wrote and that you're trying to understand. And oftentimes that inscrutable genius is like you from, you know, a year ago. (laughs) And and you're going back and and trying to make heads or tails of, of what's going on. And really, Sourcegraph is about making that code that some idiot or inscrutable genius wrote feel more like the code that you wrote and understand kind of intuitively. It's all about helping you grok all the code that's out there, all the code that's in your organization, all the code that is relevant to you in open source, all the code that you need to understand in order to do your job, which is to build the feature, write the new code, fix the bug, etc.
0: All right, learn how Sourcegraph can help your team at info.sourcegraph.com slash changelog. Again, info.sourcegraph.com slash changelog.
2: We have Toby Padilla here from Charm. Toby, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Charm, y'all build tools to make the command line glamorous. I landed on your website and I thought, I am the target audience for these folks. Really cool stuff.
3: Thanks. Yeah, we like to be glamorous.
2: How many people are in this Charm group? Because I just reached out to all y'all and said like, hey, come on the show. And I think there was a handful of people that responded or there was you know, there was some talk on your side who should actually be the representative and end up being yourself. But who else involved?
3: There's six of us. So there's myself. There's our the other co-founder, Christian Rocha, there's Muesli, who's been with us since almost the very beginning. Um, there's Carlos Becker, who's the go-releaser guy. There's uh Eamon Bagabus. He's sort of does a lot of the soft serve development and a lot of our DevOps stuff. And then we just hired Julie Zhang, who worked with us at Betaworks. She was a VC over at Betaworks. And we brought her on to the business side two weeks ago. Mm. Um, we also have Pengu. Got to shout out to Pengu. He's our he's our intern. Amazing, just open source guy, friend of Musely.
2: Shout out to Pengu. So I know Carlos Becker. He was on GoTime last year. Yep. And ever since then, him and I have been working together to get him a GoTime t-shirt shipped to his location because...
3: He mentioned today that he hasn't had got his t-shirt yet. So yeah. <laughs> no,
2: but we've we've tried over and over again. I think he's in Brazil or somewhere. He is. And you know, shipping things is hard these days. And so we just actually decided to start from scratch. Hopefully we try a second time. He just got stuck somewhere in customs. Who knows? Who knows what happened? But yeah, Carlos and I have been talking for a while ever since his go-time appearance.
3: Carlos is a good guy. We're excited to have him on. He actually started as a contributor and a person who was just kind of around the charm project. And then we brought him on as a contractor. And um, around four months ago, I believe he came on full time.
2: Mm. So y'all have a bunch of tools. It's kind of hard to decide, you know, where to start and which one to go into. And that was one of the things when I first landed on your site, I thought, oh, here's an easy changelog news <laughs> link up. And then I started scrolling and I'm like, holy cow, there's a whole bunch of different projects here. How do I, you know, which one do I link to? And then I was just like, I'm in the command line stuff. So I was like, well, we just need to bring them on the show and, and talk. In more depth, but one thing I've already keyed in on, I'm sure Adam's keyed on it because he's all about the founders talk, is you said my Mm co-founder. And I'm looking at a whole bunch of open source tools, and I'm just very curious, how do you guys approach Charm? You said there is an incorporation, so tell us about, I guess, what is this entity?
3: So we are actually a seed-funded startup, and we started because we wanted to make the command line more fun. We wanted to make it glamorous, right? And that sounds insane, but it's something that we wanted to do. But it actually means a few things to us. So Kristen and I were at Betaworks together. And then, like I said, Julie was there too. And we were doing various projects for them. We have a long back story with them. We've done multiple startups. I was a VP at TweetDeck, which was a Betaworks founded company. So we'd been in the Betaworks space for a while, but we wanted to do something together mm-hmm. because we like the entire time we've known each other, even when we were doing other startups, we were exchanging Vim RC tips, bash tips, all of these things. We're like, you know, we're really passionate about the command line. Why don't we see if we can turn it into a company? You know, it needs, it needs a rethinking, it needs a rebranding, and, it, and we want to just work on it. That's what we want to do this, right? Like it's a fun thing to do. And so what we wanted to do was A, make it more fun to work on the command line, B, bring pro- modern product thinking. To the command line that was something if you look at the history of the command line it was very much rooted in 1970s and 80s mainframe technology right there was mm-hmm. it's designed around multiple users per machine it's not really set up for the internet it doesn't have a ton of sort of built-in encryption it does sort of now maybe at the disc level or something like that but we wanted to modernize it we wanted to make it look nice because it doesn't always look nice right sometimes it looks really raw and and looks can be important and so we wanted to christian's a designer by trade. And he's, he's a really great designer, actually. And so we wanted to sort of apply that to the command line. And then we wanted to make it easy to, to take all of these concepts and for us to build tools with it, but also to have other developers build tools with it. So we built like a bunch of stuff. You're referencing like a lot. There's a lot of projects, right? And mm-hmm. it's sometimes can be hard to talk about everything, but we kind of have two separate areas that we focus on. One is apps and one is libraries. And the apps are focused on solving things that we see are big problems on the command line, use cases that we think are important. So, for example, Glow is meant to solve reading documentation on the command line or discovering documentation on the command line. And so that's a first-party app that we built. But an example of a library is like Bubble Tea. So we built Bubble Tea to build Glow, and now it powers all of our apps, but it also powers hundreds of apps that people in the open source community have built. And Bubble T is a 2E framework based on the Elm architecture. So Christian was a big Haskell guy, loves functional programming. We all kind of came into go, go. We'd been doing it a bit before we started Charm, but we're like, let's bring other ideas into this space. And so one of the very first things he built was this Elm based two E-framework so we could build some really cool, exciting command line stuff. Um, We got a bunch of other projects as well. A lot of them are focused, the libraries are focused on really the front end. So there's sort of like a lip gloss, bubble tea, bubbles, harmonica are all front end apps. which have interesting names, I know. Um, But then we also have back end apps. So Charm um, is a bunch of things. It's it's not just the company. It's also a tool. It's a set of frameworks and it's the server. So we make everything self-hosted. So Charm libraries are based on storage data storage and encryption and identity things of that nature and then on top of that recently we've been really focused on ssh and pushing ssh forward because we think that's one of the most exciting interesting powerful technologies on the command line is ssh and so we're doing a lot around ssh identity ssh access remote access via ssh and so we built this thing called wish which is a framework for building SSH tools, and you can wire Bubble Tea apps up into Wish, and so you can SSH into something and get a Bubble Tea interface and have it do whatever. We also have sort of Git middleware inside of Wish. So one of the things that inspired a lot of what we're doing is is the Git SSH interface, kind of how GitHub does this, right? So you push, and they know who you are based on your public key. You add your public key to their server, mm-hmm. and so we built Softserve, which is a two E based self-serve git host and that again is using wish and bubble t for the interface
0: wow blow my mind here it's just so many toolings i love the direction it's crazy that uh just to see somebody come out swinging like this on the command line like you you almost feel like it's boring in a way you know from the outsider's perspective those who think like oh the command line is just a kind of a drag but you know this is really cool tooling i mean i'm super impressed
3: Thank you. Yeah, and that is sort of a perception that's there, and it's it's partially true and it's partially not true, right? Like, it's difficult. <laughs> like, one of the reasons we built this is because Kristen and I have been on the command line each for, like, 20 years apiece, and neither of us considered ourselves, like, experts because the the learning curve for this stuff is just a sheer cliff wall, right? Like, you can spend your life learning about that, and that's uh, shows you the power, but it's also scares a lot of people off. Mm-hmm. And so there's like, you know, command line, no, I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. And then a lot of the tools are really dated. Um, some of the data tools are excellent. So I'm a huge Vim guy, right? Like not the most newest editor out there, but still I use it every day. There's kind of on the command line, you get these things that look like lifer technologies where it's like you invest your life into learning this thing and it'll pay off in the long run. I, I spent a lot of time moving to them from like TextMate or something like that. And it was difficult at first, but I knew like suffer through this and it will pay off 10 years from now, 20 years from now when you're SSHing into a server and you're just like kicking ass editing text, right? So that's one or like piping commands together, learning sort of basic Unixy workflow stuff there. All of that stuff, it's a big investment, but it pays off in the long run versus learning a proprietary stack. Or, or even a proprietary bit of technology. I'll use a web example for this, and, and this is by no means to bash the project, but like D3, I always look at D3, and it's like, hey, you can do awesome stuff with D3 in terms of visualizations. And then I start learning, and I'm like, this is so much to learn. It's so much to learn, just this like very specific framework in this very specific spot. It's not gonna be knowledge I can apply sort of across the computing board. So when we think about command line stuff, um, doubling down into your knowledge there should be applicable across a whole range of tools.
2: So I tend to agree with you, but I wonder how big the audience is for tooling like this. I think of the command line as a subset of technical people or maybe developers or, you know, let's just call them tech oriented people. Of those, there is a subset who prefers the command line. And of those, I am one and many of our listeners are. That's why they listen to the changelog and they hang out on, you know, hacker news and changelog news and GitHub and these things. But When you're building, did you say you're VC backed? Is that what you said?
3: We are, yes. Okay,
2: so when you're talking to venture capitalists and trying to make a business case for this type of a company, don't you butt up against that feeling of it being old and very niche and saying, well, we're going to bring it to the future, but is the future interested in the command line? I personally am, so I'm easy to sell on the vision, but I'm wondering if other people are harder to sell on the vision.
3: It can be like that. Um, There are some good examples of of doing what, we're talking about doing. So GitHub um, is a great example of modernizing the command line. They took Git, which is an extremely powerful, let's say edgy, tool, right? Like requires a lot of knowledge through it, right? Mm -hmm. And they brought a bunch of what we call modern product thinking to this. They brought social interaction. They brought a nice web interface. They invented some sort of terminology and use cases like PRs, um, pull requests. That's a GitHub thing. That's not a Git thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Git was designed for the Linux kernel and mailing in patches and all these things that I like really, really small audience to do that kind of stuff. But GitHub mainstreamed this and almost every developer not every developer, but lots and lots of developers are on GitHub because they kind of did what we want to do. But then they kind of stopped. Right. Like they they did. They did a lot of innovation. They've been acquired. They're part of Microsoft. Um, they're really focused on GitHub actions and stuff, which is which is really neat. But it's an example of building a huge multi billion dollar business off the back of a command line tool. And so we think that we can do this. And if you look at DevOps and things of this nature, this command line is really important there. SSH keys are really important there. The workflows for deployment are often in these developer tools that live in a sense on the command line. So there's maybe not a trillion people, Mm -hmm. like especially myself coming from the consumer internet side, music, Tweet deck, things like this, right, where it's like, oh, you got to get a billion users or whatever. We don't necessarily need a billion users. We're happy with 30 million hardcore developers. And ultimately, our business model is to sell into enterprises anyway and solve enterprise use cases and developer workflows inside of companies. And so we think that getting that developer mindshare will help us in that business sense.
2: Well, shout out to your designer, because when you land on charm.sh, you accomplished what many people fail at, which is to immediately have a recognizable and distinguished and interesting look and feel. You mentioned this the somewhat that you didn't call them silly, did you? You said you have lots of different names. I can't remember the the adjective you used. I don't want to.
3: We like to be we like to be unique. We like to be unique with our naming. Yeah. OK,
2: so the unique naming convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us what inspired this. I mean, you, you got bubble tea, lip gloss. You mentioned harmonica, uh, soft serve. There's like an ice cream theme going on, kind of like a desserty theme going on talk about that for a minute
3: so so christian is the co-founder and designer so he's doing all of this design 3d background so you'll see a lot of 3d models there which people don't necessarily put in the command line design sensibilities right from the get-go we wanted our brand to be My Little Pony meets Fist of the North Star and I think that we're trying to accomplish that, right? Like, we want it to be less intimidating than the command line has traditionally been but even more powerful, right? Like, you can do just this amazing crazy stuff with this but by making it friendly it's kind of changing the culture around the command line. Like, we don't want to be 1970s MIT, right? We don't want to be this like gray beard, Unix. Those guys did a lot of amazing stuff, but it's 2020 now. And so updating the language that we speak to people with is, is a big part of the project. And we actually like think about culture a lot, both like in terms of our product, our branding, but also the team and how we run it. Like We like to do things a little differently in, internally as well. Mm. Do you see,
0: I guess, when you get to a certain point, when you SSH, let's say, into your production server, do you envision like where this kind of apps and tooling, the libs, I'm not sure how you divide them because I'm still learning the product graph you have, but do you envision, because I'm looking at Wish and you know, make SSH apps and you got the the parrot doing the dance and like you can SSH into a certain server. Do you imagine that someday someone would, would like replace or make their production server easier to navigate and maybe even Linux tooling that you have to constantly Google or whatever kind of be front and center. Is that what you hope for at some point where you enable a future generation to build on top of the tooling you currently have, basically?
3: Exactly. That's what we're doing. And um, I would say the best example of a Wish app is SoftServe. So if you SSH to SSH git.charm.sh, you will go into our Git repos. And so this is a soft serve instance. Anyone can access it if you have a public key. If you don't have a public key, it'll ask you for your password. And I think you just enter and it'll let you in. So custom SSH, right? Like we're letting everybody in. Come on in. We've seen you for the first time. Come on in. This was something we could do with Wish because it's custom SSH servers sort of divorcing the user accounts from the machine and the application. SSH is really powerful because you know who somebody is. Everything's obviously encrypted, so that's nice. It's kind of, if you think about setting up a server today on the web, you get HTTPS and you have to manage those certificates. Maybe CertBot manages it for you, but you still have to set that up. You have to do like a DNS entry or or whatever, right? You have to think about HTTPS and your domain name. With SSH, you don't do that. You just, and one of the things Wish will do is actually make the server keys for you just when you start it up for the first time. So you don't even have to think about that. You should store them someplace secure, but it will generate them for you. But you just fire it up and you have encryption. And you also have identity, in a sense, because people, when they come into SSH, are presenting their public key to you. And so you can say like, okay, this public key is attached to this identity. And we've got kind of really far down the rabbit hole with that with Charm, where we allow you to link multiple public keys to one identity. And then we actually do a bunch of encryption stuff where we make symmetric encryption keys, encrypt them for all of your public SSH keys, and then store those encrypted on the server. We don't store private keys at all. So your SSH private key stays on your machine. Sure. You pull down all these symmetric keys, decrypt them with your private key, and then you can decrypt all of this encrypted data that's been pushed up to the charm cloud. So end to end then, so you end end. Yep, very end to end. We don't know, we don't want, we don't want your data. Yeah. <laughs> like Data is a liability. Um, it's not our business model. It's just, we don't, we don't want it. We don't want to know what you're doing. We want to see what you're doing. We are very big on privacy. So for instance, we don't put analytics into our apps. Your privacy is more important than our business metrics, period. There was a, there was a year period. We didn't know how many people were using Glow because we didn't have any Charm Cloud functionality. It was just a Markdown reader that was not networked. So before we invented the Charm Cloud and all this encryption stuff, Glow was simply a Markdown reader. You pass in a Markdown file and then style it. It will style it with a style sheet. So that's what Glamour is. It's a library that styles up Markdown um, according to an ANSI style sheet. And it will also detect your background. So if you have a dark background or a light background, I'll give you the, the red colors there. GitHub, by the way, has used Glamour in their official command line client to render markdowns. So if you use CLI slash CLI, On github all of the markdown rendering is happening with glamour Mm -hmm. but we don't we didn't have metrics we didn't have analytics and that was fine because we wanted we wanted people to have privacy we also don't think that's even a good way to develop product Mm -hmm. you should develop products um, as the product owner or developer because you have a vision for it you have a need you want it you're trying to solve and you can just bang that out like there was no analytics or a b testing that went into git or Vim, right? This was somebody had a vision and they made this incredible tool. And even going to the consumer side, all of my favorite products have been created by usually one person. So I went to work at TweetDeck because I loved TweetDeck and Ian, the TweetDeck founder, just made this thing. He just like, I I wanna look at tweets and columns, right? I'd make an error to do that. Um, Last.fm, that was, RJ was a college student and he invented scrobbling as his university project. He's like, I want to track all my play counts. That blew my mind. I was a huge music fan. And I was like, I've never seen anything this cool in my life. Delicious. Joshua was like, Hey, Tad's, you know, freaking cool. Let's just build this thing. Mm-hmm. And so you see these amazing products come out, not because of analytics, not because of studying user behavior, but because I have a vision that I need to make this thing. And that, that, to us tends to be the most exciting stuff to build.
0: So we'll obviously go deep into all the different product areas, but going back to Jared's question with Betaworks, obviously Betaworks has a track record. So I think there's potentially some inherent risk, you know, de-risking of maybe putting you and a team together to do stuff like this. But how do you, what is your trajectory then? Like, how do you passionately go into this world? Very well done by the way, but like, how do you get to this? How do you passionately go into this world thinking out the other end, something commercial will come to play. Something valuable will come to bear of this. You mentioned delicious. Those are great examples of like just scratching an itch, essentially. Like how, how will this itch turn into something commercial?
3: Well, we were we were lucky in that we were at Betaworks because they're all about just making cool stuff and seeing what happens, right? Like they're not, they never go into something saying like, let's turn this into a business at first, right? Like having success is important, but it's always like, Let's build something interesting and see where it goes. Technology is great about that. You can invent stuff that doesn't have a clear path to monetization at first, and then it turns into that. Like Git, again, Git wasn't clearly monetizable, and GitHub didn't monetize it for a long time, but eventually it turned into a real business that was worth billions of dollars. And so we came from this VC firm that was very, very freedom-loving and very just creative and very art-loving. And so we're like, we want to build stuff on the command line. Um, and John Borthwick, who's who's the CEO of Betaworks, he's like, Toby Christian, you know, you guys have done a lot of stuff for us. We believe in you. Let's do some pre-seed and, and get started. We also had the support of Alex Chung, who's the Giphy founder. So Giphy's another Betaworks sort of like, investment slash incubation project. And so Alex is another one of our angels. And so just having this like crew of people who had worked together before, building experimental things. Giphy was an experiment. It was a weekend experiment Mm -hmm. that Alex built. I mean, he's like, gifts are cool. like Let's make a gift search engine, right? And then he figured out how to monetize that. But that was sort of the history and the DNA of of the early team and and investors.
0: Mm. It's going to get that trust right away, though. I mean, to, to have that like, hey, you've done some good work
3: here. Let's do that. So you said you're a pre-seed. Is that right? We're seed now. So we've raised a few rounds of pre-seed. Um, we closed our seed rounds in December of 2020. So our seed rounds led by Cavalry. Um, they're a German-based seed fund. They're awesome. We just clicked with them immediately. I have a fairly extensive investor network in Europe because Last FM and TweetDeck are both European startups. So we kind of knew them through through that network. Um, Betaworks, one of our lead investors. Also Fuel Capital. So they're a Bay Area based investment firm. They're really, really cool. And Chris Howard over there has been supportive of us from like essentially day one. So he was in the pre-seed, in the seed round as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Carter, he's in all of our rounds as well. He's, he's a really great guy. And Tokyo Black, the Looker founders, Keenan Rice and, and Ben Porterfield, they've been investors. And then we have a bunch of other angels as well. Gotcha.
0: Well, what the, what's the total funding so far?
3: a total 3.6 million.
0: Okay. You got a a burn rate. You have like a slash open page on charm.sh. I love that, by the way, when people have slash open and it's like, here's all the things we're doing because they're so just transparent about what they're doing.
3: We are, um, we're transparent. We're not, we're not uber transparent. We like surprises. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, look at this cool thing that we built. You know, you didn't, you didn't know about it. And here's something new. Our burn rate is low where we have six people. So we, we like to keep, the team is a lot like code, right? Like the less code you write, the better. The fewer people you hire, the better, right? Like don't, don't bloat your team. Don't increase your burn. Mm-hmm. Um, hire the right people. The way we hire is we don't do technical interviews. We We find people we want to work for us and then we try to convince them to join us. <laughs> and the way we find them is they're often just contributing to us. And it's like, okay, here's some of our top contributors. Here's somebody who built something really, really cool um, with our technology, can we get them, can we get them to join us? Or is somebody else that we know sort of like through our network. So we're very proactive in our hiring. And so when you find these people who have really demonstrated the ability to make something from zero mm-hmm. to whatever, right. And ship it and support it and, and make it successful. Um, you bring them on and one Carlos or one Muesli is worth 50 non non-Carloses or Musleys, right? Like go releaser an amazing technology. We were, quite excited when Carlos agreed to join us or even talk to us we're like we're fanboys we love it we use it all the time right like so it is it's really cool to just proactively sort of seek out the right the right team members and it me- it means you can keep the team a lot smaller like that too
0: what that tells me though is like when we have this listening audience paying attention to these shows we do and we ask a question like that we're not just probing like hey what's your what's your actual burn rate Toby like I don't really care necessarily like I, w- I kind of want to know but What I want to hear is the wisdom behind it because it's one thing to be able to produce this kind of tooling and have this kind of inertia and this innovation. But it's another thing to to command it with wisdom, right? Like we can almost respect and appreciate what you're doing way more because you have this innovation side of you, but you're also doing with discipline, right? You're not just like, let's just throw money at it and hope it works. Let's just hire everybody who's ever creative like some companies might do or you see some companies like – just acquire a bunch of talent. You're just like, wow, they're just vacuuming up everybody. Whereas here, like you're doing it with a bit more discipline. I think that's a an admirable trait, honestly.
3: Thank you. And we actually, even speaking to the burn rate, we need to keep it low because we like time. Mm-hmm. Time is is innovation, right? Like we need time to innovate, to throw things against the wall, to see what sticks, to iterate on ideas, to try new things. So think very much like an R&D Project where you don't, you can't have these really short term time horizons where you're, you need to raise the next round like next week or whatever, right? Because you're not going to do the right things and you're not going to make the most innovative thing that you could possibly make. Like sometimes that takes a little while. Like you don't ever want to go heads down for two years and go on these like secret missions, right? Like that. Everyone has a tendency to do that, myself included. It's like, Oh man, this is, I'm going to make my magnum opus. See ya. See ya in two years, everybody. You know, like that's, that's always a temptation, but you, you mix short-term thinking and that and you try to come out. So we did a long development cycle on this. We did a recent release with the self-hosted charm cloud, wish, soft serve, a bunch of stuff. That was like 11 months in the work, and and that was quite frankly as far as we should ever go without having launched anything. And it was starting to get to the point where it's like, okay, we're we're just we're just iterating and iterating and iterating, and we need to get this out there into the real world. So you want time to try exciting, fun, new things, but you don't want to you don't want to bury yourself under an ocean and try to swim up because that's that's just not going to be good, and it doesn't make good product that way either. You need to get it out there in the real world. So finding that balance um, requires helpful to have a low burn rate so you have, you have some freedom.
0: This episode is brought to you by our friends at Square. Millions of Square sellers use the Square App Marketplace to discover and install apps they rely on daily to run their businesses. And the way you get your app there is by becoming a Square App Partner Let me tell you how this works. As a Square app partner, you can offer and monetize your apps directly to Square sellers in the app marketplace to millions of sellers. You can leverage the Square platform to build robust e-commerce websites, smart payment integrations, and custom solutions for millions of businesses. And here's the best part. You get to keep 100% of revenue while you grow. Square collects a 0% cut from your sales for the first year or your first 100 Square referred sellers. That way you can focus on building and growing your Square customer base and you get to set your own pricing models. You also get a ton of support from Square. You get access to Square's technical team using Slack, You get insights into the performance of your app on the App Marketplace. And, of course, you get direct access to new product launches. And all this begins at changelog.com slash square. Again, changelog.com slash square.
2: So let's talk SSH. You brought up Wish earlier. We talked about how you can SSH right into git.charm.sh. For what is kind of a tabbed interface of with a menu of your different projects, I'm assuming this was all built custom by you guys to provide this interface. Before we get into how to build these things, are you imagining a world where a bunch of these SSH apps exist like as an alternative, there's something like an alternative view from your website sort of. I mean, it's its own thing, but it's a content viewer, which a web browser also is. I'm thinking about changelog.com and how we have news and podcasts and search and things on our website, but we could have a cool SSH interface where you're doing similar things. And I'm just curious if like, are you imagining a world where a bunch of SSH apps exist that are kind of like links, you know, customized in terminal browsers or obviously GitHub uses theirs for you to do Git interactions, you know, to use the Git service. So different kinds of services, I guess, just start by saying what what do you see people building with SSH apps?
3: So SSH can do a lot of stuff. And, and what you're looking at there is a TUI. Right, so it is a menuing system. It's to browse through. Uh-huh. One of the nice things is that it keeps you on the command line. So you're gonna you're gonna git clone something from the command line. So going back and forth between a web browser and the command line. If you think about one of the like sort of innovative things that GitHub did was this like flash based clip cut to copy to uh, clipboard of the SSH clone URL. Remember, and I think maybe that's natively supported in the browser, but it wasn't at first. I
0: remember that, yeah. And
3: so that was just a way to get something from a web browser into the command line. So there's some value to being on the command line. But I think there's a few things that can happen with SSH. One, like you alluded to, it's a Git API, right? And so you can start to do really interesting things by layer. You add the Git middleware to wish, and we give you all the hooks for when projects are pushed and when pools are happening and how authentication can happen. You can start to build applications around that. So for instance, soft serve is configurable by Git. So when you first run SoftServe, the very first thing you do as the host is clone the config repo. And so you clone the the config repo, and it has a markdown file, a readme file, which is what you see when you first get into git.charm.sh. And it has a YAML that lets you configure access, customize that menu, add collaborators, add their public keys, all these things. Um, So all of that happens via git. And so you can imagine other configurations happening like this. We're also about to release a version of SoftServe, so we haven't released it, but probably in the next couple days, that adds um, non-interactive SSH functionality. So 2Es are great. They're great for discoverability. They're great for having some kind of UI on the command line for remote controlling various things. But on the command line, this real spirit of it is composing things, mm-hmm. right? So piping the output of something into into something else. And it turns out if you run SSH with a command by default, it does not issue you a TTY, which means that you do not get an interactive two. You have to put dash T to get in. So if you do SSH dash T, git.charm.sh soft-serve, you'll go straight into soft serve. If you don't add the T, right now it doesn't do a whole lot. The new update that we're doing, um, you can say ssh git.charm.sh soft-serve slash main.go. And it will pipe out that Go source code directly to your command line. Um, You can add the dash S, I believe, flag, and it will style it up. It'll do syntax highlighting on it. And so at that point, You can start baking these things into command line workflows. You can start exploring, grepping things, manipulating the output of these files directly from a Git repo into other command line tools and pipelines, which we think is a really interesting idea because there's not a great way to do that now. Yes, you can curl something if GitHub has the web interface for it, but this is very discoverable and it's very native to the way that the command line works and the way Git works.
2: So the other thing that's interesting about this particular TUI, which just for the listener's sake, that's TUI, Terminal User Interface, which I think they probably... Yeah, uh, it's actually text. Oh, text.
3: Text User Interface, yeah.
2: Well, thank you for correcting me. I don't even know what it is. I just assumed it was terminal. Good guess. Because where else are you going to look at your text? Why wouldn't it
3: be Terminal User Interface? Yeah, absolutely. I'm ready
2: to rebrand that sucker. No, so the text user interface is at the command line, there are certain things that you come to think about like pagination or or, you know piping things into less or something and there's like standardized key combinations that usually work of course you know usually depending on which variant of unix you're on or whatever but here you're kind of reinventing a few things like you actually have tab-based selection which navigates between like a menu item and the content item and i'm assuming that stuff was invented by you all inside of the build Text-based UIs tool, which I can't remember which one that one's called.
3: Bubble that's Bubble Tea. That's Bubble
2: Tea. Thank you. There's a lot of tools here.
3: It's Bubble Tea, and Bubbles is a selection of components built for Bubble Tea. So some of that stuff is 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 a bubble. It's a it's a bubble that anyone could use. Some of it is custom components that we built for this application. Okay.
2: So I guess what what I'm driving at is if people are all adopting Bubble Tea at least in order to build some things, we we can expect certain common paradigms inside of a bubble tea based Tui, right? Yep. Okay. Because I would be concerned that like everything would be ad hoc and uh, And super Wild West style. Yeah. Like I like predictabilities of the command line and it seems like this might lose it if people are all built in different ways.
3: There's so we're seeing a lot of um, particular components being used quite a bit in other people's apps. So the viewport used all over the place and you'll see, we have like a little help menu down at the bottom, Mm -hmm. that's part of a component. That's something everybody seems to like, because they're baking in. There's challenges. There's We're inventing a lot of this stuff, right? It's kind of like being in the 1980s and inventing a windowing system. So we have to take best practices that we've learned elsewhere, try to come up with good ideas, iterate, and experiment. There are downsides to it um, that we haven't completely solved for yet. So accessibility is is one of those. How do you get a screen reader? to read a 2 Whenever we launch anything, there's always a comment saying, like, this doesn't work with screen readers. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Like, it doesn't work great with screen readers. So how do we improve that in the future? We don't have an answer now, but it's on our radar, right? Like, that's something important to do. Easy things we've, we've kind of fixed. And it's not even easy, but like I mentioned it before, do you have a light background or a dark background? When possible, And this isn't possible with Wish because you can't do this over SSH. But on a Tui that you're running native to your machine, we detect your background color. We're like, okay, you're on a light color. We'll give you things that work with this. Uh, Since you can't do that over SSH, we picked a color theme that works on light and dark. It looks slightly better on dark because we're all on dark. But it still looks quite nice on on light background. And so um, there's challenges that windowing systems and the web have come to solve over the decades that they've been in existence that we want to solve, at least to some degree, but aren't all solved yet, to be completely honest. Like there's some things that we still need to work on. Mm -hmm. But because it's so early, that's also exciting. It feels like neat. You can come up with a new idea that works for the terminal and makes sense for the terminal. Some of these terminals are are pretty cool. So so Kitty is the terminal that we all like to use. A lot of us like to use it. Um, And Kitty's a really great terminal And the person who made it has, has really pushed forward what he wants to be standards in terms of OSC codes. I believe that's what they are. Um, sort of ANSI escape codes that do things. And so he has native notifications that'll pop up like a a notification, like a, like a windowing notification. And you can trigger that from an ANSI code. He's got like windowing stuff. He's got sounds. He's got, he's got copy to clipboard Hmm. is another one of these things that he's added. And so when you start looking at that, I think there can be standards that happen as these applications become more rich that we can all embrace and and solve for some of these problems, especially as like a new generation of people come into these tools with different expectations. Because I think in the past, people are like, whatever, I'm I'm a graybeard Unix developer, right? Like it, <clears throat> it works for me. So that's fine.
2: One thing I'm seeing, uh, maybe bug report, or just curious, this is the kind of stuff that falls out is with this two-paned UI that you have here. You have the menu on the left, and then you have the content on the right, which is effectively looks like you're rendering markdown readme's or something that exists elsewhere. It's the
3: markdown readme, yeah. Yeah,
2: you're using your lip
3: gloss. Glamour. Glamour, dang it. Glamour and lip gloss. And okay. it's, got, it's bubble tea, glamour, lip gloss. It's got everything. It's got all of our stuff in it, yeah.
2: It's bubbles all the way down. <laughs> the works. Yeah, so, so when I, like the git clone command in my terminal, I'm just using macOS terminal.app. Like I can highlight git clone, copy that works but when i try to highlight for instance the description for bubble tea the fun functional stateful way to build terminal apps and i go multi-line it doesn't highlight the text it highlights the text plus things in the menu on the left Mm -hmm. and so this is the circumstance where like you know the the new ui hits the real world of a terminal that's controlled by apple inc right yep and these
3: are things that have to be figured out and ironed out over time. Exactly. And maybe the answer to that is we changed the layout right. or something, right? Because there, there might not be a good answer to that that exists today, but that's exactly the kind of stuff you're going to hit when you start when you start doing this. So yeah. I think um, that terminal in particular is often challenging to develop for. So they do, it, it, you'll see like the lines have spaces between them probably when you're looking at this. That is a bug in, in OS X <laughs> terminal or Mac OS terminal. Its performance isn't great, but it's the, it's the terminal of choice for like everybody, right? Like it's the default terminal for like millions and millions of people. So we have to, we have to sort we're all like, go download Kitty, go, go get it now right. because everything works super awesome in it, but we can't, we can't rely on that. And so, um, hopefully we push this world forward enough that even Apple pays attention. And we've heard that there's a bunch of people at Apple using our stuff. So it's a good. That's cool. First step. But ideally the terminal world starts to evolve as well.
2: It's just an interesting world because you have like in the web, you got browser vendors, right? And then really where you are and and the download kitty was like the old, go get Firefox, you know, like back in the day, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, well, you can't expect everybody to do that. Maybe we'll get to 20% market share, but still the other 80% are running IE9, right back in the day. That'd be lovely, but it's like
0: probably Mm 0.1%, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. So
2: it's just a different, it's the same exact problems, but a different space. Adam, you were going to say something.
0: I was just going to say, I can see the coming terminal war man like at some point maybe there's the terminal to rule them all like if apps become more prevalent like if this innovation keeps pushing forward and we hackers find more and more ways to use this and it becomes sort of mainstream like it, I can think of it like or at least developer mainstream yeah like if, if I was saying it to be in the first segment like if if in the future this evolves to the point where when we SSH into let's say our VPS for, for some reason like if I want to do that I've got my identity attached to it. It's got a particular UI. Like maybe there's the the common everyday command line. But what if we know our stack and so there's like a, you know, something with the the Kubernetes pane of glass. We want to see sort of like what's going on ad nauseum across the, the deck. You know, maybe there's something like that where it's aware. I don't know. Maybe that's a thing.
3: We've been thinking about possibly non-text-based UIs, right? You can use SSH as a protocol mm-hmm. for identity and data transfer above and beyond uh, terminal. And in fact, X Windows does this, right? There's an X, for, X forwarding command on SSH that allows you to forward your X Windows over XS- SSH. So that's uh, old, ancient idea. People probably aren't even aware of that maybe is a new life ahead of it, right? Like you can have a UI, um, having an SSH key is your identity. SSH is a great protocol for encryption, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to look at everything inside of a terminal. So we would love to explore this. And even thinking about a mobile app, right? Like maybe you generate some keys on an iOS app and it identifies with an SSH-based API to figure out who you are. And this... talking quickly about charm and our server this is how this works so you use ssh to get a jwt back and then we use that jwt on a bunch of https apis and we do that for sort of performance reasons and so other people can build apis using technology that they're familiar with but we've been doing a lot of sort of work and we're going to do a big release around this soon Mm -hmm. with jwts so this is moving hey here's who i am here's my public key ssh okay we know who you are the server who knows who you are issues a signed credential saying, we assert that this person is who they claim they are. Now, web server, whatever, you can rest assured that this person is who they claim that they are. And so you can imagine this in iOS apps. You can imagine it in other non-text-based apps. So, again, going back to the, sort of the Unix philosophy of doing one thing and one thing well and composable apps, by doing SSH well, it opens up the door to, to lots of possibilities.
0: Are you familiar with the Raspberry Pi, by any chance?
3: Yeah, we love Raspberry Pi. And in fact, it's one of our, um, it, not all of our stuff works on it, but it's sort of like a target platform for us. Because one of the things we, we pitched Betaworks when we started is, hey, there's a bunch of really what we call low power machines out there that the command line is a really great pairing with. Mm-hmm. Whether that's a Raspberry Pi Or a machine that's like 15 years old, right? There's a lot of hardware out there that if you try to run the latest version of macOS on it or Windows, it's just going to slow to a crawl. Mm -hmm. But the command line interface is going to be like rocket fast on this thing. So let's target these lower powered platforms and make cool stuff for them so you can do cool things. I have like five Raspberry Pis and I have them all hooked up to my TVs and they're more or less just Cody servers. Right. But I would love to actually use it as like a computer in a way that's more meaningful. And so if you start making these sort of rich command line apps, then these low powered sort of Raspberry Pi esque. Machines become a viable computing option and you can do neat things on them. And so that's that's been sort of a Raspberry Pi thought that we've had from from the get-go. And I
0: was even thinking like that because there's a lot of people who have multiple Raspberry Pis in their home lab. There's maybe one for their surveillance, you know, or their automation, things like that. You know, in my case, I have a Pi hole and that's pretty much it. I've got a Plex on a whole different one. It was on Raspberry Pi, but now it's on a beefy Linux server. So I can't really call that a Raspberry Pi, but it's still command line. Like I when I... SSH into it, I'm, you know, I have Plex running via Docker, it's running on ZFS, all that good stuff. But I was just thinking like when I sudo Raspberry, you know, RSP Pi, like Raspberry Pi configuration, when I go into that, like that's some sort of like application, you know, some sort of like text application. If that, you know, if that world gets easier to build those kind of things, like that kind of config, is that also a feature where you can see this is solving for that can think it's a lot easier for that developer or that team to maintain and build because this becomes the React for SSH apps or command line
3: apps. That's exactly what we're thinking. It's such a good answer to remote controlling something over the command line because historically you're editing a lot of files. You're You're going into Etsy and editing like a million flat files, right? To get the configuration you want because you don't have... X windows or whatever necessarily all the time. And so you have to do that. Mm-hmm. And so offering a, a graphical interface for that is is good. And you've seen stuff like that, right? There's there's things that have existed, but they look like DOS. And they can writing the code for that is like you're doing C++ or something like that, right? And so you mentioned React, but that's similar to Elm, right? In that it's it's sort of like a reactive functional design pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what Bubble T is. If you want to develop these two in a hyper- modern fashion, that's what Bubble Tea allows you to do, use functional programming to build these. really Sort of what people have learned over the past 10 years in terms of building web UIs, taking those practices and being able to build a TUI with it. Um, we think is cool, and and that use case of having a bunch of Raspberry Pis and you're controlling them through SSH is is exactly the kind of thing that we want to solve. Um, for instance, we launched another project that was it was the first thing Carlos built. So when Carlos started a week later, he shipped his first project, and it was called Wishlist, and he he loves Wish, and so he's really excited about Wish. And so Wishlist is a it started as a proxy. To other SSH servers and other wish apps, so he built the party parrot thing and, and all of this stuff over over wish, and so you would SSH into wish list and you would see a list of all of your other Wish apps or S- or any SSH server, and you could go into it. Last week, we released local mode. Um, so now when you run, you can run Wish Wishlist on a local machine and it looks at your SSH configuration file, finds all of your hosts, and gives you a graphical interface mm. for jumping into all those hosts. That'd be super cool. So discovery, topography discovery of your network, right? You got all your Raspberry Pis in there and you don't have to, yes, you can tab complete it now, but having a TUI to jump off and discover all of your hosts is is a good thing? It's it makes it easier to do this.
0: You're getting me excited because my cat config when like when I do my SSH config, like it's it's organized. Like I have I have all my machines in there. I've got local DNS resolving for machines because I run pi- Raspberry Pi, the Pi Hole, and so because I have that, I've got like local DNS essentially for all my machines. So I don't I don't actually SSH to a IP address anymore. I've now resolved those to an actual domain name that makes sense. That's only internal. So. For example, my Raspberry Pi, or one of them is Pimax.home.lan. And when I want to go there, I ssh.pimax.home.lan and I'm in, right? But I have all of my hosts files on all my machines the same way. I kind of wish there was a way, build this tool next, make it where I can command all my host files. <laughs> build this one next. All my host files from one machine. Cause like I essentially go to each one of them and manually update them. If I can sort of like manage all my host files, all my config files that, that manage those hosts. You should set up a local DNS server and
2: just point all their DNS to your DNS server and then it could resolve those and then you manage it at the DNS
3: server. I guess you could, but uh, you can actually do that in with pihole You can so yeah yeah PyHole has an option. So you'll run it's running its own local DNS server and you can add your you can add your hosts manually to to PyHole.
0: I've done that already but what I haven't what I mean by that is like whenever I go to my SH config file. Each host has to be in there for each machine so that it knows you know, what my host name is, what my username is for that machine, right. that kind of thing. That thing is tedious. No, if you
2: SSH to a domain, like when you SSH to git.charm.sh, there's a DNS lookup that happens. So those machines would
3: just... But ed- I think he means editing the SSH config. You've got to shove all of those. You You make a new host... Great, you've added its to Hole. you've added it to your DNS, you can get to it, but right. you have to know its name. If you can put it in the SSH config, that starts looking nice.
2: He's writing it into his configs, so he knows the names. Okay, I see what you're saying, but
0: it's... Right, so each computer has that SSH host file, that config file. So each computer needs to know, so I can SSH and autocomplete to iMac Pro or to Mac Pro or to whatever the, the different machines are out there. Like it, each machine... The DNS is done by a pie hole, but what isn't done is each machine knowing all the
3: different hosts it has available. Like he's saying, like he can. I will say this is an area that we're exploring heavily. So, so check out wishlist for now. That'll get you at least a nice two of browsing through your SSH config. But you can imagine that evolving for server discovery. I love it because it's going to look at that file, see all the
0: hosts I have defined in there and give me a list of the things I can navigate as a
3: result that is exactly what it does and you can even uh you can also run it as a server so it could be a bit of a bastion host yeah. um that you can configure and have it be a jumping off point to a bunch of hosts on that subnet or or whatever
0: i'm uh, i'm listening toby i'm listening keep going tell me <laughs> tell me more well let's let's drill down into
2: bubbles and bubble tea cuz you mentioned this is like your react elm architecture declarative easier modern way of building these things and Bubbles are the components, and Bubble Tea is the the framework. Now, this is a, a Go thing. So does this lock you into Go is my guess.
3: Yes, and all of our frameworks, all of our libraries, and all of our apps are Go. And we actually get a lot of questions. I just got a question about it yesterday. Do you have a Python SDK? And the answer is no, we don't. I mean, we're a small team, so we have limited resources. but. We think Go is a good language to build command line tools in for a number of reasons. Um, one is you get a compilable binary that you can ship, right? A single file. And you don't have to force all of your users to install all of the dependencies that you've used to develop a la Node.js or Python or something like that, right? And so it's sort of a natural fit for this type of tooling. Um, two, it's just a nice language. It's It's got a really good standard library. So a lot of stuff that you might want to do to make a really cool command line app is just straight up available in the Go standard library. It's got an HTTP server. It's got an HTTP client. It's got a lot of stuff inside of it. And so that was why we focused on it. And we, we like lots of languages. And we come from backgrounds where we, I was a Closure developer for six years. Um, I was doing Rust actually for two years before I moved to Go and I got um, Muesli, I follow him on GitHub and I got jealous of all the cool libraries that he was starring all the time. I'm like, I want that because he's a Golang developer and he's like, super cool crypto thing or whatever. And I'm like, hey, that looks neat. I'm in Rust writing my own Ben coding library because such a thing doesn't exist. At some point, I just I'm like, you know, I love Rust. That's really cool. It's a super exciting language I Jump Ship. I'm like, I want to be more productive, I want to use all the fun toys. Um, and so I started doing Go. And so all of us kind of, some of us enthusiastically, some of us begrudgingly had moved to Go over the years, just because it is kind of the answer to building these type of tools. And so um, when people ask us like, hey, can I do a Node.js version of your stuff? Our answer is no. Use Go, but come into our Slack and we'll help you. So we're, we're very enthusiastic about onboarding people in the Go, teaching people about Go. We'll answer any question, no matter how basic about Go in our Slack. So charm.sh slash Slack and come on in and, and ask us about, about Go because we love to answer it and we'd love to see more people adopting it, um, especially for command line stuff. Uh-huh. Are y'all in the, the main go for Slack by any chance? Um, I'm not a huge sort of like chatty person, so I'm not in a lot of slacks, but I'm sure that you and Carlos. Are. I was say, it might make
0: sense to have a channel just for charm that could be a welcome, sort of a tie even, like where you, maybe that channel could be shared between your slack and that slack. That way you can absorb some of the help at large, you know, in the main gopher slack.
3: We can take, we'll take some of the workload and we'll happily, we'll happily take that, yeah. That'd be
0: a good onboarding practice or a good
3: growth strategy. I like that. That's really good.
2: So one of the things I've been musing on is some sort of a changelog command line tool. And I actually was considering Go as the language of choice for that because I really like the way GitHub developed their command line tool, which originally was written in Ruby and they rewrote in Go. And I thought, if I'm going to just cargo cult a bunch of stuff off of somebody and not have to do the entire job, I would probably just look at their source code and and go from there. And then I found Bubble Tea and Bubbles, and it seems like these tools are pretty much custom built for doing exactly what they've already done. So how would you go about writing a command line app with Bubble Tea?
3: So the readme is a good place to start, and it kind of walks you through a sort of semi-tutorial of how to do things. It's highly based, like we said, on Elm. So there's some concepts that will help you sort of like immutability. And you can hack this in Go and do it. You can either do it the Go way or you can do it the Elm way. So we let you do either things and some of us do it certain ways and some of us do others. But essentially there's very few things you have to implement. You have to implement an update method, which is sort of like changing the state of things. And you update and you implement a view method, which returns a string, period. And the string will look at the state that was updated in the update method and return the correct string. So you've logged in, so username is now set to Toby. When the string renders, it renders out my name or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's a concept of commands. And commands are if you're doing something that's blocking or a long running process, you do a command and it returns. When it returns, it calls update with the result, the model that's the result. And that's it. That's all Bubble T is. It's those three concepts. So you learn about the view, you learn about update, and you learn about commands, and then you can start building Bubble Tea apps. And then you can learn about the bubbles. So if you go into the bubbles repo, you'll see spinners, progress bars, input forms, viewports, pagers, that kind of thing. So you can just start stringing that stuff together. It takes a while to master this. And because it's so new, we're kind of inventing design patterns as we go. Mm-hmm. What should be composed? What should be inside of something else? How do you bubble up state this type of stuff? But as we've built bigger and bigger applications, we've learned better design patterns and we've tried to bake that into the documentation and bake that into, into some of the examples. Mm-hmm.
2: So what's missing from the bubbles if we get into the components? Or Is there anything glaring where you're going to end up writing your own components because there's big gaps in the library.
3: I think that you'll you'll be pretty good with just sort of like a basic Tui. I tend to like to invent crazy things, so when I'm making Bubble Tea apps, I rarely start with a bubble. I just start banging away and making my own stuff, and then um, often it'll get replaced by a bubble when somebody else takes over the project, somebody more sophisticated at doing this than I am. But you can do it either way. You can start composing these things that already exist. You can get a long way just trying things out on your own as well.
2: So the, the string that returns, is this including all of the layout information or like, are you writing at, is this string like a whole block of ASCII that comes back or what does it usually comprised of that creates the UI?
3: So that's a great question. And that's actually what lip gloss does. So lip glosses are styling and layout libraries. So lip glosses. So many libraries. Yeah, I know. We've got a million of them. So lip gloss will do the coloring and it'll do the layout of all of your stuff. So when you do your view, you'll use a bunch of lip gloss inside of the view and it returns a string. So lip gloss always spits out a string. So it has renders, it has sort of essentially what looks like CSS style sheets. Um, and then you style up your stuff with that and return it in your bubble T view. OK,
2: so I'm looking at lip gloss code right now. It very much almost looks like, is this, does this
3: go? This is Go. It is Go. It's, a, it's almost like a DSL that was written in Go.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it doesn't feel like Go code that I would normally read, except for the line or FMT.printline. Fumped. Fumped, yes. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but I always say format. I don't know why. Okay, so you got lip gloss for your, the way it looks and feels, and you've got bubbles for pre-built stuff, and then bubble tea is like what everything plugs into.
3: Then toss it behind wish. So that it's
2: remotely accessible
3: with SSH. Yep.
2: What about local storage? Or I mean, these are things that you would just do, like maybe you use a Bolt DB or something. Like you just use whatever's available and go. If
3: you're not trying to do well for persistence, we offer Charm. So Charm is <laughs> a lot of things. So it was already a lot to take in. Charm itself is a whole ecosystem. So the Charm bracelet slash Charm on GitHub, and you'll see it's a bunch of things. It's a tool that you use. It's a client, it's a server, and it's a set of libraries. So Charm KV is a Charm managed Badger DB that stores your data encrypted in the Charm cloud and synchronizes it across every machine that you've linked your account to. Charm FS is a fully encrypted Golang FS.FS implementation with writability that stores all of your data in the Charm Cloud and makes it accessible to any machine that you've linked your Charm account to. Mm. So if you need a key value store that's accessible across multiple machines, use Charm KV. If you need to access files or store files um, in the cloud encrypted, use Charm FS. And Charm Crypt is there if you want just some straight up encryption library using those intermediary symmetric keys I had talked about earlier. Hmm. And if you run Charm Server or Charm Serve, that's your own Charm Cloud. And you can point, you can set Charm host equals whatever host you're running that on. And instead of using our default servers, all of our tools and any tool built with our libraries will then start storing the data on your own personal server.
0: So the one thing when you ssh.git.charm.sh, when you get in there. For me, at least in terminal, and maybe this has been talked about. And I just missed it, but I don't think so. Is it's not interactive? And I would imagine the I hope at least Jared, the 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 plan for this future SSH for change would be interactive. We have obviously news links. It, sh-
3: it should be interactive. So if it's not, that's definitely a bug.
0: OK, so it's not interactive. What do you mean by Interactive. Meaning that I like I can't click the links. For example, there is no selecting the oh mouse support Get clone yeah like there's mouse support to navigate. Oh, you have to use the keyboard to navigate it. Well, oh, I've got that, so I'm navigating it, but it's not like I can like click the links. I have to. So nothing is it, for one. You can't play an MP3 in here, or like you don't have any, so you're not playing them. I would imagine we have MP3s to play.
2: Well, I notice also like an image on one of them. I think bubble bubbles has an image in the. Our notes, wishlist. Wishlist has an image in the markdown it says image colon screencast arrow. Right. And it points out to a GIF that we can't look at.
3: Right. So that goes back to the earlier conversation about terminal capabilities. And if you had Kitty, you'd be loving this right now. <laughs> if you want Kitty, you don't, no, we don't actually, de- we don't default to it, right? Like we don't display images because most people aren't going to be able to see it. Gotcha. So ter- some terminals will show you an image. Most Won't or most meaning Mac OS terminal will not show you an image, right? And so we don't try to render that image because most people aren't going to support it. So yeah, it's not a rich experience. It's not a multimedia rich experience. I would love to see that. Like I like to watch a lot of videos and I would love to be able to do something with video and build some sort of like video app. Mm -hmm. That's not today, but we can all try to get there as command line aficionados over the next five to 10 years, because I think it's ideal. One of the reasons we're doing this is because we have super web fatigue. Like lots of things about the web suck. Like I'm sick of trackers, ads, I don't like the advertising business model. I don't like all this JavaScript that's running on my machine and that just these bloated web pages and everything's bloated, everything's slow. There's ads auto playing and stuff. And so, stripping all that away, getting to the point where you're not tracked everywhere you go is one of the reasons that we moved to the command line, but we lost. A lot of stuff along the way, right? We lost YouTube. Well bye bye -bye YouTube, right? Like that's important. We need that. And so it's really early days in terms of that. There are solutions to this that are more or less interesting. So you could run a server that serves a custom web page that displays video or something. Right. And then managing that server is certainly doable on the command line. But there's not a there's not a great way to make a rich user interface. Some people would like that. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Gemini project, but their entire philosophy is they're basically like Gopher 2.0, mm-hmm. text-based web replacement, HTTP replacement. And they also have web fatigue, probably more than we do. And so they've gone into this world where everything's supposed to be stripped down. It's just text only, right? Like if it's not text only, they don't even want a part of it. So there's, there's cultures out there that embrace just that. But I think it's really important to look forward and how we can make this even richer.
0: Maybe I'll reframe my question then, or at least the statement I was trying to get to, which is, you know, I can't click the you know the Git links or the different links in the readmes. So that's like a stopper for me. It's like in terms of what we're trying to build or what we aspire to build is then if we want to have an app, an SSH app that is built with Bubble Tea, you know, style with glamour, all that good stuff behind Wish, and we're doing all this fun stuff, and we want to allow you know our listeners, our our audience, essentially to see our podcasts, see the index of all of our shows, but then also be able to play them. Is that a possibility? And if it's not, what's the hurdles to get to that point from an interface
3: standpoint with going this route? It is um, not if you go through Wish. So SSH itself is limiting some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. There are solutions. If you, build a, if you guys build a changelog command line app and you have people download it, you could have it open stuff. Right. You can have it open something on their user's machine. You can have it open a web page. You can have it do lots of things. Over Wish, that's running on the server. So you're not going to be able to say, hey, open, open this file mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, you can do that, though, as long as you build a tool that they will run on their own machine. And you can do that in uh, numerous ways. Sometimes the the terminal itself, and I don't know if the OSX terminal does this, where it'll just take a hyperlink and make it clickable. A lot of terminals do that. So you could just open it in the browser, but you could also just execute in the background, the open command or the XDG dash open command, and it will open up the appropriate application for that mime type. Um, and so you could open up an MP4 or whatever, right? And it would probably open it up into Apple music or something like that. And so there's, there's definitely ways to handle it. If you build, a local tool. If you're trying to make it remotely accessible, that's limited. And that's actually a challenge we've had because those git clone URLs, you can't execute that, right? Like, it's, you're back almost in the GitHub world to some degree where you're copying and pasting it mm-hmm. into another window. Now you're still in a terminal. So that's nice. But we're looking at options there. SSH to some degree as the viewer is limiting there and that it doesn't support linking hypertext linking right like that's not a thing Mm -hmm. on ssh so do we write our own ssh client replacement that offers a bunch of cool rich options i don't know maybe we do
0: I feel like maybe you should just write your own terminal the one that rules them all and the reason why i kind of get there why i wanted to like sort of option click is because that's the experience you get in vs code for example Mm, yeah so traditionally in a even in an editor you're not necessarily interacting with the links in it, so maybe pushing the boundaries of say playing a video or seeing an image or playing an MP3, maybe that's pushing the boundaries of the protocol. But from a interaction standpoint, I would desire or expect to be able to option click a link because that's what you could do in other editors. And so this emulates it at least visually, even even though it is terminal, and you know it's you're innovating that part of it. My expectation as a user is like, can I option click these links and do different things? But the answer is no right now. So it's uh, it's more like understanding what the limits are. And, you know, how do you, if you're trying to innovate the command line, how far down to the metal do you have to go? Like, do you do you have to kitty it? Do you have to... Make your own kitty. You know what I mean? Like, or can you just adopt...
3: (laughs) Who doesn't want to do that? (laughs) Right. I mean,
0: but, you know, do you have to... Is that how far you have to go?
3: It's a great question. And it's we actually asked ourselves that initially. Like, do we want to make a terminal? And we explicitly said, not yet. Not right now. Because there's a lot of other stuff that has to get built at the application level. We're getting to the point where that's sort of the limiting factor. It seems like the apps are limited, though, by the current standards.
0: And if you could evolve those current standards, maybe the process of building these apps and the libraries and the different things you're building on top of it might, maybe I'm wrong because I'm not, I'm not doing the work, but maybe it might be easier to, to just, you know, take a stab at it for a month, do like a month project and see what it would take to do that or maybe longer.
3: Building a terminal is a big task because it's got like 20 years of backwards compatibility that if you don't support, people will be raging on you right away like oh it breaks because there's so many command line apps Mm. right like oh vim doesn't work through tmux for me anymore or or whatever right so there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that people are doing out there that you need to support and it's actually a pretty big job to do it we are, and this is talking about a sort of secret project that we were looking at at one point that we decided not to go down. we like, hey, VR is kind of cool. Maybe we should do a VR terminal. That's kind of an interesting concept, right? Like it's a new platform. How do you bring the command line to this new platform? How do you make a really good mobile command line? How do you make a really good mobile terminal? So I think there's desktop terminals. I think there's other platforms that could have really cool terminals. I think maybe we even explore some of that stuff at some point in time. Yeah. But As of right now, we've been really focused on, I mean, even though Bubble Tea and Bubbles are some of our biggest projects. our Bubble Tea is actually our biggest project at this point. It just passed Glow in terms of stars last week a lot of our effort and engineering research has gone into the SSH side of things. So the identity side, the encryption side, how you handle all of the Git protocols over SSH. Fundamentals. Yeah, because it's also, it's a little more, it's a little more separated from the UI aspect. The the UI is great, right? And it's what gets people in the door, gets people coming to us. It's really nice to show off and it's fun. It's super fun building this stuff and we need to keep pushing that forward. But a lot of the value of what we're creating, I think, is at the identity Level and really pushing SSH forward. So that's another area for us to kind of. There, there's deep rabbit holes everywhere. Yeah. And you, you can start going down them. And as we get bigger, we'll probably simultaneously dive into multiple rabbit holes. But for now, we can kind of like dip into a couple of them.
2: So if we redirect back to that side of things, the SSH side, you have SoftServe, which is a wish based Git server, correct? Yep. You have WishList, which is a wish based ssh directory yep are there other wish based apps out there or even an idea for apps that people could wrap their heads around
3: um so yes charm is also wish based okay charm yeah uh-huh um and there's a version of Glow that's in beta now that will soon be launching that's based on the new Charm. So Glow sits on top of Charm as well. And the use case in Glow. Glow is the markdown rendering thing. Glow is the markdown rendering thing. and, I'll, and Charm the, is the. Charm is the encryption and identity and cloud storage. Okay. And so in Glow, if you open up a markdown in Glow, um, you can hit S. And S is stash. And say you just downloaded Glow for the first time, you ran it in a project directory, they'll discover all the Markdown in that directory. And they're like, hey, this is interesting, I wanna save it for later, S, stash. Oh, I don't know what that is, seems cool. Stash it, okay, great, it's stashed. What we did behind the scenes there is generated you a new SSH key pair, generated you encryption keys, encrypted all of that Markdown's file, hit the charm server with your key, created a new account for you, on the charm server and then pushed up that encrypted markdown for your account onto our server or a self-hosted server if you if you want that okay. and so all of that ssh mechanic behind the scene is happening through wish and so charm is a wish app and wish library that applications like glow can use to satisfy any kind of storage or, or encryption or persistence or identity use cases there are third party. Wish apps that were starting to come out. We saw two Wordle clones launch in the last three weeks over SSH. Play Wordle over SSH. Um and they're really great. Like one of them was on Kleidel, was on the top of our Golang on Reddit all all last week. And it's I don't have its URL off the top of my head, but it's a great implementation of Wordle over SSH and people loved it. Like they, some something about this like resonates with people. It's like, hey, it's kind of like the BBS days or something. Just the fact that you can be on the command line, you can use SSH and all of a sudden you're playing Wordle is kind of a neat idea. And you can even like score stuff because it keeps your public key or whatever. I know that they're working on a lot of this stuff, but it's like, hey, identity plus remote access building. I didn't install anything. I didn't install Wordle. I just had SSH lying around and I was able to use this thing. So we saw two of those launch um, and then some kind of like toy kind of stuff, but it's pretty new, mm-hmm. wishes is like, I think a month and a half it's been out, out in the wild or something like that. So it's, it's all relatively new, um, but it's exciting to start seeing people not just build stuff with it, but gain some success. So we love it when people build with our tools and then they go to the top of Hacker News or they're trending on GitHub or something. It's like, it's, they're able to build something that resonates with the community with the tools we're giving them. And that's, that's pretty neat. There's a lot of sort of popular Bubble Tea apps. So Bubble Tea has almost 500 applications that have been built with Bubble Tea. Um, It's been out there a little a little longer. So there's this thing called Slides this guy Moss created, and it's um, the second most popular Bubble Tea app besides Glow um, in terms of being just like a pure Bubble Tea app, and it's like PowerPoint for the terminal. There's, like I mentioned, the official GitHub client is using Glamour. It's not using Bubble Tea, but that's like a very big distribution of one of our libraries, um, Min.io. And their com- official command line tool is using bubble tea. That's a new thing. Uh, supple base. So I know you had the founder on recently. Um, he, they and their official command line client are using bubble tea. So we're starting to see good bubble tea distribution in some, some pretty large. Pretty hot projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bunch of fun stuff too. There's just like fun projects that people make with bubble tea. That's really interesting. Merge, Merge stat is a great one. This is treat your Git repo like a SQL database and run SQL against it. And he had a functioning tool and then he kind of discovered our stuff and started layering more and more. He tweeted out, he's like, I just added a bunch of bubble tea stuff to merge stat. I'm going to add all the charm stuff to it. We're like, yes, please do. You know, that's, that's awesome. So we're seeing people get excited about it, build it and then achieve some success with it, which is, which is neat
2: i'm over here googling all these names that you mm-hmm. are saying actually merged at i think is by the ask Git guy who we've talked about in the past so small world querying sql and whatnot or querying Git like it's sql uh pretty cool stuff definitely hook us up with a list for the show notes i oh, will uh i did find Clydel, but uh you probably even think of more after you hang up with us and say, oh, here's another cool one. Mm-hmm. And so we'll have like a nice list of things using either Wish, Charm, or Bubble Tea, and or Bubble Tea cool. uh, out there in the wild. Because, you know, sometimes just seeing that those things are the inspiration you need for the idea and like actually make it click. Mm-hmm. I think Bubble Tea right now clicks for me in a way that I'm not sure Wish does because I'm not, like I'm seeing the examples you're giving and I'm like, these are cool. But then I can't go anywhere from there beyond without more interactive things um, than is currently available with SSH. That being said, I'm, I'm just a guy with very small ambitions and can't think of cool things. And I see them, I'm like, oh, now it all makes sense. So the more examples, like you said, it's only been out there for 30 days. So uh, more time, more people will start to play with this and come up with cool ideas. And if you're listening and you have a cool idea for something like an SSH-based app, definitely holler at us, let us know about that and then let us know if you would like to try it with wish or with charm or with bubble and bubble tea all these things
3: so many names lip lip gloss harmonica lip gloss
2: maybe (laughs) some glamour in there i'm not sure glamour does anymore oh yeah style Sheets based markdown rendering
0: for your cli apps yes glamour as you were naming those examples i was seeing how we are definitely our desires for what we want to do is certainly the edge case right like I think we could use Bubble T for sure and build a really cool
2: interactive changelog command line tool where you could play mp 3s as long as we can get that stuff done in Go, right? Like to play the audio and stuff, which probably has some cross-platform libraries that you'll have to use to interact with the audio libraries of various operating systems. Like Bubble T is just for the interface, right? Like you can build full-fledged Go applications and use Bubble T for your interface, right?
3: Yes, you can. One thing I'm most excited about, and I haven't seen a lot of people build with it yet, but it's kind of futuristic and weird is the Git stuff. So building Git-based apps, what can you do with Git? Could you clone a repo and you guys are pushing new episodes into it all the time and you're, con- and you're just fetching the new versions or whatever? Mm-hmm. Or is there a collaborative option there? For instance, this episode was maybe a repo and I could push up these links to it, and you guys could add stuff to it too, or something like that, right? So I think Git-based interaction mm-hmm. super unexplored, and to me, that's the most exciting part of Wish. Is like, oh, you can start building these Git-based apps and using Git as a way to control things and as a way to collaborate. Mm-hmm. That seems interesting. And if you can probe it like a database,
0: which it basically is, you know, then maybe you can use it as sort of like a pseudo-database almost to, like we have a web app, maybe the Postgres can pull data from that Git repository via webhook with GitHub or some other way to essentially be- Well, we already do that for our show notes. Our show notes are synced with a GitHub repo.
3: Right, it's very similar to that, yeah. You can make a Wish app that does that. So you would get in the Go code, a put someone's pushing something, here's what they're pushing. Mm-hmm. And then in the Go code, you could use your Postgres driver to just populate the database with the file or whatever got pushed into Git. So from a CMS perspective, it's it's kind of interesting. And that's how we're doing the CMS bit of SoftServe, is with the Git, all the Git pushing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: SoftServe being the self-hostable Git server for the command line. Each time we say a noun, I have to describe which one it is. Because <laughs> y'all have so many projects, man, it's crazy. It is challenging to keep
3: track of what. Yeah, imagine having to make 3D models for all of these things. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, you're doing it on the hard mode you took that upon yourselves, you know, mm-hmm. that, we did, but, uh, that's the fun part, right?
0: Let's go. Maybe ask you one question here, which was, you named a few examples out there when you were in the final stages and this was wish, right? Like, no, yeah, these are wish apps, right? That you just described. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to keep track. Sorry about that. When you were in the final days, I suppose, of pushing and the, and the team was dreaming. Oh my gosh. When we get this out there. People will build this. What were what were those dreams? Like you described, some things people were using GitHub, using Glamour or Lip Gloss, one of those two. And I think you mentioned Superbase, what they used. What were some of the apps you imagined will we build
3: with Wish? We actually built Wish and SoftServe because we had a, a very specific need for it. So we had built Charm, the new version of Charm, the self-hostable version of Charm, all that Charm KV stuff, um, all of that. And we needed to launch it and we wanted to move Glow over to this backend. And the way doing all of this works in Golang is difficult because if you look at Golang code, when you import a library, you put a git URL. You get, it's like literally a git, like github.com slash charm bracelet slash charm slash KB, mm-hmm. whatever, right? Whatever library you bring in is literally a git URL. And so we wanted to. It was not ready for prime time, but we wanted to get it in front of people. And so we needed another place to put this, other than our public GitHub profile. And we didn't want. We weren't ready to overwrite some of these apps with the new versions. And we wanted to bring them in. And this is kind of complicated inside of Go to make it happen. And so we're like, okay, we need a new, a new Git place where we can pull this stuff. And so we started building our own Git server, like, let's make it on the command line. Let's make it over SSH. Let's do all this. And so we started, we created Wish, essentially, we backported it into Charm. But we created Wish so we can make SoftServe, so we could launch Charm. We wanted an alternative Git space that wasn't GitHub. Because there's times you need a Git repo. Git is very much about promotion. GitHub is very much about promotion, right? You put it out there, everyone's going to see it. But you sometimes want to put something out where people can use it. Well, you don't necessarily want to broadcast it out to everyone, and so that's why we made SoftServe as like the your second Git host, right? Whatever, mm-hmm. and so that was that was why we made Wish. But after we made it, um, we're like, wow, it's kind of crazy. We just wired Bubble Tea up into SSH, and we're wiring identity up, and we can do the, all this really cool stuff with Git. And then our wheel started spinning. We're like, okay. It turns out Git is awesome for CMS. And so some of these things I just told you guys about, like the podcasting and the notes and editing, Mm -hmm. like that's my mind in wishland, right? Like I've been I'm like now this is possible. These things are possible. So it's time to start thinking about how you can leverage Mm -hmm. Git as an API. How do you use Git as the way you manage an application or what can you do from a collaboration standpoint with Git? That's not just writing code. And so I think it's really early days there. But it seems incredibly exciting. It seems, it seems interesting because it's not how you would typically do something. Um, being able to configure a YAML check out the config repo, edit the YAML and push it back to SoftServe. And then SoftServe behaves differently is kind of an interesting new concept to use Git as a way of configuration seems pretty powerful. And I think we'll see more and more of that.
0: I'll throw this is not there too. I don't know if this is a one-to-one because I almost would imagine just managing my own bash profile or the ZSH profile. And I was thinking of like, oh my ZSH, this is something that a lot of people install. It has config essentially where you can choose your theme and a bunch of stuff. And I'm wondering like, would oh my ZSH be a good candidate for, you know, some sort of app like this where it's like, rather than editing your actual profile, the ZSH profile file itself, would it make more sense to put that in a config? I don't know. Like, is that where you see that too, where like some tooling or dev tools have like config locally, and an app makes more sense rather than like opening up the
3: file? I don't know. What do you think? We're looking at dot files as well, so we've got we've got some stuff in the works there because it's a natural fit for what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of what you say, like imagine you've got a Windows machine, more, more realistically, you have a MacBook and you've got a Linux-based VPS running on DigitalOcean or something, right? And you've got Vim on both of them or you've got some, some configuration that's slightly different. Tmux works different on, on Mac than it does on Linux or something like this, right? And so you have different versions of the same dot .file. How do you manage that? Well, immediately you think, get is useful there, right? Because the way I'm managing my dot files now is in like branches on a Git repo and it's it's quite hellacious, but it's a problem we're looking to solve. And we've actually got some prototype stuff around it. I can't talk too much about it yet because it hasn't been launched, but we're close to launching some stuff that plays in this area.
0: Gotcha. So helps in the in the dot files area. Maybe even a an actual dot files manager. Potentially. And and branches on a git repository, which would be so cool. Like each branch is a Machine, for example, like this machine is that branch. And- yeah.
3: And that's and that's what I do now. And managing that manually is is not fun. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so tooling around that is is definitely desirable. Well, let me suggest a name for this Skunk Works project. I would call it Cupcake. You know what? I will tell you what its name is. And its name is Donut. Oh, Oh, so close! Pretty close. (laughs) Donut's cool. So you guys are getting you're getting the scoop on that. We haven't announced it. Oh, so
0: charm.sh slash. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Don't insert name here. But uh, that's where it's going to live, right? Of course. Probably yes. Donut sounds like dot file, so it's
3: like doesn't it? It looks like a dot too. That's true. Uh so cool.
0: Okay, okay. I'm digging it. I think that... Uh, I'm interested, yes. Between Donut and what you're doing, I can definitely see why you are so passionate about innovating in this way. Yeah. My hope is that commercial opportunities in the future just because sustain. Yep. But not so much that, like, I just hope that, I hope that you have enough runway and can sustain enough runway to keep innovating because these are definitely cool things. I'm just... Just not sure. Except for on the Wish Cloud, the, the Charm Cloud kind of aspect, that's where I can see a commercial offering for you when you get more and more people to adopt right. SSH-based apps. And why run your own when you can run it there? So it can be managed. I can run on my own. I can run on a VPS or do it on a Raspberry Pi because I'm sure you've thought about that, you know. Right. But do I have to? Maybe I can pay ten bucks a month or enterprise pay fifty or a hundred or whatever the number is. You know, like that's where I can see something at least in the near future. So. But, you know, I'm loving the direction for sure. And the naming and the fun behind it, that's what really makes it fun. I mean, it makes your job, I'm sure, more fun. I'm sure it makes the team have a lot more fun with meetings. Like calling a new project called Donut is a lot more cool than something that's lame, basically. You know, <laughs> that's
3: lame. Something like cupcake. <laughs> always better than something. Right, lame. right, right. Anything
0: else in closing? What if, have
3: what if we not asked
0: you that you want to share before we close out?
3: Um, I think we covered a lot here. Um, thank you for having me on. This was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, yeah. I would say if people want to follow us, come to at Charm on Twitter and Charm Bracelet on GitHub. That's the best way to stay up to date or like I said, join our Slack, charm.sh slash Slack. But other than that, this was, this was great.
2: One last thing that I'll say before we close, Adam, I just thought of this because I'm looking up Charm's license. I would just say that since Charm is long-term, probably the enterprise commercial play and it can be self-hosted and yet you know, maybe you want them to host it for you. That's. I just want to say you got street cred because it's out there, it's open source, it's MIT licensed. So like you really are putting your money where your mouth is in that regard. Even with that piece that is probably going to become, you know, the commercially viable part of all this stuff, Mm -hmm. which is just free and open and really cool stuff. So uh, props to you on that aspect as well.
0: Thank you. I say even more props too on all the other tooling, being able to wire up to a self-hosted charm. Like, yeah, have it as a cloud as managed is cool. But then a single config, it sounds like, you know, I was thinking of like uh, Ruby days and I've even forgotten all the terminology. I haven't done it so long. But like wherever you point Ruby gems to, what's that file, Jerry? Rubygems.org. Yeah, exactly. In the top of the file, you can just point it wherever you want to get your gems. Same kind of, it seems like similar, a similar change in terms of a config. Just point to wherever.
3: It is. It's just an environment variable. Charm host. You set your charm host environment variable. And in fact, once Glow is launched, the new one that points to charm pod, even Glow, when you stash, it'll start stashing it to your your charm pod. Anything that's built with our stuff will just sort of magically work on your self-host. That's important to us. It's And from a commercial standpoint, it's not necessarily a bad idea because what you need as a self-hosted person is quite different than what an enterprise of 10,000 people need, right? Yeah. And Go actually makes this easy because we design all of our stuff with interfaces, implement those interfaces in SQLite on the self-hosted side. And then for instance, on our industrial strength Charm Cloud, we got Postgres backing it. And we just implement all these same like interface methods in a different, more sort of industrial grade backend. So we think through some of the stuff or stats like for for monitoring and for all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't even implement that on the self-host side, but on our servers, that interface has an implementation that points to Grafana. Very cool. So before we let
2: you go, we'd be remiss not to mention the footer of the website where you take haters. Oh yes. And you redirect them to DevNull. Tell us, tell us the story, story. here. You're, you're sending the haters to DevNull.
3: Where else would they go? <laughs> <laughs> Where else would we want them? Good question. <laughs> uh,
0: well said. Well said. And you've trademarked it. <laughs> That's right. Well, I want the T-shirt, so put them on a T-shirt so I can wear it.
3: We are working on swag. Yeah,
0: there is there is
3: stuff coming soon.
0: Cool. Give me a sticker. Give me a T-shirt. Give me a uh, a pin. You know, some sort of a glossy pin. I'd be so excited about that. We will. Give me a cupcake. And give me a cupcake.
3: We were thinking about keycaps. Like, we all have mechanical keyboards, so like something something like that, yeah.
2: Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, for sure. Well, good luck to you guys, and keep it up. It's really cool stuff. I'm definitely going to check it out, Bubble Tea, for this Skunkworks
3: change all command line thing that we've been playing around with. So we'll give it a shot. Awesome, and just let us know if you have any questions. We're happy to help you. All right, Toby, thanks for your time. All right, thank you very much.
0: All right, this show's done. Thank you for tuning in. Fun rebroadcast of the changelog right here on GoTime. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know in the comments. Big thanks to Toby Padilla and the team at Charm for all the work they're doing, all the fun vision they're putting together on the command line and in SSH land. If you support their tools, check them out, charm.sh, or sound off in the comments. Links are in the show notes. For those yet to join the ranks, check out ChangeLaw++. That's our membership. Skip the ads, get close to the metal, and directly support this show and other shows we produce. Check it out at changelaw.com plus Plus, if you have any requests for go time, any guests, any topics you want us to cover, head to changeall.com/request. That is an open submission for this show and any other show we produce. Let us know. We want to hear from you. Thank you again to our friends and our partners at Fastly. Check them out at fastly.com. Support them; they support us. If you haven't yet, join the community. It is totally free, changelog.com slash community. We have an open Slack in addition to the Gopher Slack that you can be a part of. So if you're on Gopher Slack, you might also enjoy what is happening in the changelog community Slack. Again, changelog.com slash community. All right, that's it. This show's done. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next week.